hey guys, come in here for a second. Bring it in here a second. Listen up. Did you know that you don't have to do every aspect of your real estate investing business? And that includes raising the capital. Did you know that you can pay a professional to raise the capital for you? In this episode, we'll dive deep into that aspect. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott, man, I'm fired up this morning. <laughs> I hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. It was one of those mornings where I, just after I finished my early morning cup of coffee and I had my um, uh, high performance planner and got my day kind of cranked and I had an idea and I had a thought and I just said, you know what? I got to go with this thought. And all of a sudden I started whiteboarding this idea and I was going and I was going, it was like 17 whiteboards later. Now I, I know I'm being a little over-exaggerating on how many whiteboards, but I went for probably three hours of cranking out a thought process and an idea of something that I wanted to um, bring to life. And it's just something that's been sitting on my mind for a long time. And I finally just whiteboarded it. And I took the whiteboard and then I finally just have taken some snapshots out of it and some pictures of it. Now I got to start formulating, you know, organizing it a little better. Here's a quick heads up for all of you guys. If you're interested in um, a really good way of capturing whiteboard ideas into digital format to potentially transcribe it, there's a wonderful system Yes, I call it a system. If you if you look up Rocketbook, Rocketbook is now how I'm taking all my notes. I take a lot of my notes. I can then take pictures of it, and then I will transcribe it. I then can archive it and store it because I was taking notes and notes and pages of notes and you know book after book after book. They were just I almost had to throw them out because I just there were so many of them. But now what I do is I take notes. I take a picture of the page. It transcribes, and then I can save those. But here's what I'm saying about whiteboarding. The system of Rocketbook has this thing called Rocketbook Beacons. What, what you do is you put them on the corners of your, of your whiteboard. You do your whiteboard and then you take a picture of the whiteboard and then it will put it up onto the, this uh, system and then it will eventually transcribe it for you. So you have all your whiteboard notes and all this kind of wonderful stuff. So it's just one of those um, little things for you guys to dive into. Um, so search up Rocketbook note-taking system would probably be uh, the way of doing it. It's changed the way I'm taking notes and also doing my whiteboard collaborations and just having my major brainstorm sessions, right? So that was this morning. I was just all fired up. You know, you know when you have an idea and you're just going, to, I was honestly, I was sweating. <laughs> it was, the idea was so good and I was so excited about it. I got so excited about it. Not that I'm not always excited. I'm, I'm very, I get very excited when I get on a roll with a good idea. And this was a great idea. And I'm, you know, <laughs> I guess uh, as a, a vote of one of myself, it was a great idea. But to a point where it got me to crank for about three hours on one thought process to just go down. And stay tuned, you know, way too early to share anything here. But uh, more is going to come from this. And I think it's a great idea, which time has come. And um, anyways, I'll leave it at that and we will uh, crank out more. Stay tuned is the best way I can describe it. Okay, today's episode is, and I hope I got your attention on the very opening tease of this. Now, guys, here's the thing. If many of you have been listening and following along on my podcast, you probably heard the name Dan Sullivan and you've heard the Who Not How and The Gap and the Gain and you've heard all those resources. Those are absolutely cornerstones of things that you need to look at within your business of real estate investing. It's not a feather in your cap 
that you do everything. You're driving to Home Depot and picking up light switches and plates and picking out paint colors. It's not a badge of honor that you're staying up till midnight to paint the walls of rental property. It's not something to celebrate that you're pulling your hair out over a tenant issues and going and representing yourself in the tribunals and representing yourself to try to get tenants out and get some money back. It's not a badge of honor for all those things. Now, I do understand that sometimes you have to cut your teeth and you have to do that work. But here's the thing. Almost every element of this game within real estate investing can be outsourced. It can be put onto somebody else who is an expert at what they do, somebody who will do it much better than you will, somebody who has the time, somebody who has this as a business model, the bookkeeping, the property management, the renovations, all those things can be 100%. The acquisitions, finding of the property, selling of the properties, almost every element of this business can be outsourced. It truly can, including raising of the capital. Did you know that there are professionals out there that will raise capital for you and charge you a fee for the capital that they raised? You know, for some of you sitting there going, I I have all these great projects and they're so amazing, but I just hate raising capital. I just can't do it. You know, wouldn't it be nice if there was a, a process or a system or somebody out there that could raise it for you? There is. Now, understand that this, what I'm about to share with you in this interview, is not for everybody. This is people that are really growing people that are scaling their businesses, people that are taking this up to the next level of a professional ranks. This isn't for somebody if you're just buying, say, your first, you know, $300,000 condo in downtown and you're just wanting, you needing to raise, you know, $80,000 from family and friends. This isn't for you. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to give this interview on my podcast as something aspirational. I think if you are listening to my podcast and you've been part of the journey since the beginning, I think you have dreams and aspirations for more. You want to grow a portfolio. You want to give back. You want to help people. And there will come a time when your real estate portfolio will get too large for you and your your spouse to just handle on your own, and you need to start growing and scaling it. This is where I would consider this episode upcoming is more of an advanced conversation. This is where I have a conversation with a good friend of mine, Justin Smith with Hawkeye Wealth. And Justin is a professional capital raiser. What he does is he gets paid to raise capital for other people's projects. This would be You know, the best way I could describe this is an aspirational and an advanced conversation. But here's the thing is, if if you're just getting started and you haven't even bought your first place, you may be going, oh, I'm going to throw this one out. It doesn't apply to me. It does apply to you. Stick with it. You know, find out something that is maybe something aspirational. Justin and I did an amazing job on this conversation of breaking it down to getting started, breaking it down and just having the conversation. And whether you're raising $100,000 or $100 million, the process is I, almost identical with different zeros and maybe a, just a different level of sophistication and savviness. It really is. And when you go through this next two episodes of breaking this into two parts, you will see that, that honest to goodness, when you listen to this episode, you'll sit there and go, man, I can do that. You know, there's no mystique or mystery about that. There's just some pragmatic things that are done on a daily basis over a course of time and be willing to lean into the process, be willing to fall flat in your face, be willing to hear the word no a lot. And eventually, after you hear no many, many times, eventually, yes, will come out in the surface. Okay, so this one here, just a a quick thing for you. 
We talk about raising capital. We talk about the conversations. We talk about the fear of the raising capital. We talk a lot about the public raising of funds as well. That's pretty big out there in the in the headlines right now about how do you raise funds uh, from the public and you know keep yourself protected. So make sure you pay attention to that. We talk about some simple next steps on scaling. We talk a lot about a simple qualification process. And here's the one thing I want to do with everybody on this one is I want to engage you. I don't want these next two episodes to just be a really passive listening exercise. And I do understand that most of you might be listening to this while you're doing something else. Maybe you're working out or walking the dog or traveling to work or something like that. And you're probably doing something else. But I want to have a, I'm going to give you a little listening exercise here. Okay, so here's the listening exercise. If I say the words plata o plomo, once again, that's plata o plomo. And if you don't know what I'm talking about or what language that is, by all means, look it up. Search it up on the dictionary. Plata o plomo. Now, I've used this story before, and I don't know if I've ever used the story on my podcast. Where I heard this term originally was from an early mentor of mine, uh, Dan Kennedy. And if you're not sure who familiar with who Dan Kennedy is, I think I mentioned him a couple times throughout my podcast and he shared this wonderful story about a Plata Oplomo moments, creating Plata Oplomo moments. Okay, in this episode, between this episode and the next episode, was the inspiration, inspirational story, backstory behind a Plata Oplomo moment that I share uh, from stage. I share this as a, as a story for a lot of people. Now, I'm not going to tell you which part it's in. I'm not even going to tell you any more other than I want you to figure out what Plata Oplomo means and see if you can pick out the Plata Oplomo moment within the next two episodes here, okay? And then make a note of it. And then I'm going to circle back at the very end of episode 109, and I'll give you a little bit more in-depth insight into it as well, okay? So fun game, fun game. Are you, are you down? Are you in for it? we are going to have a little bit of an engagement listening exercise to find out if you're listening on this one as well and within the next two episodes. Okay, enough said. I think I've gone on a little bit long enough already in the opening. This is an incredible two-part episode if you are interested in raising capital and growing your real estate business. So with all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Mr. Justin Smith. All right, guys, Russell Westcott, once again, back here in the studio, got a cool interview lined up for you. I guess the easiest way to describe it is I am having a conversation with a professional money raiser. You get paid to raise capital, do you not, Justin? Yes, sir. So we're going to dive into more of that conversation here shortly. But first and foremost, everyone, please welcome to the interview of the Raising Capital interview series. This is Justin Smith, everybody. Justin. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Okay. We're going to get really serious here. <laughs> we have lots of fun. And so everyone, if you are watching these interviews, we do have lots of fun. We go deep into some to certain conversations. But I always like to start things with some context and giving some people that are going to be watching this a little bit of context about where you come from. I don't know your whole backstory. I actually know who you are and what you do. And I've been a fan from afar. And every time I've ever run into you, Justin, you've just been so professional and you're just so buttoned down. And, you know, quite frankly, I might need to get my coat on here just to, to keep up with this guy. But I've seen you evolve and I've seen you grow and I've seen just some of the things that you've done is is just tremendous. And you're actually on the verge of launching a brand new business venture. And we will talk about that as well. 
But that's a long way of saying, maybe for the people watching, if you could just give us a little bit of the, the Coles Notes version about who you are and where you've come from and maybe some of your experience within real estate. Yeah, yeah. I've been in the industry now for about seven years. and uh, So you started when you were 19, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only uh, I, shave, I shave once a year. And if I look older than 20, it, uh, it doesn't have to grow back, but I've had mm-hmm. to grow it back every, yep. every year. No, I've been in, been in the industry now for seven years. I have enjoyed many uh, ups and a few downs that I've certainly learned from here. It's there been some challenges along the way. I remember when I first got into the business about seven years ago, I went to a real estate conference and and uh, there were about upwards of 700 people in the room. And I just remember being blown away about how a conference about real estate yep. could attract that many people. It was a, a new industry for me. I had done some investing in the past through my college years. I'd always enjoyed it. Uh, but I just remember just being blown away. So I start, started to uh, ask a few more questions about this investing in real estate. And uh, shortly afterwards, I, I met the person that I would begin to work with, uh, raising capital. Nice. So that, that was in uh, 2011 and made the jump. I had a job at the time, mm-hmm. the, the, the career. And as you said, I'm paid to raise capital. And if I don't raise capital, I'm... <laughs> I'm uh, you you <laughs> eat what you kill, in, I, in it's, essence. <laughs> it's, it's very much a... a sorry for the business. sorry for the graphic view there, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I remember. I remember getting into this for the first uh, six months. It was a struggle. My wife was working uh, full-time. Uh, she was, for the most part, paying the bills. And I was really learning this business and at least trying to. I had just gotten the the new freedom of working from home that comes with its own uh, difficulties for those. <laughs> Challenges, that, yes. Yeah, yes, yes. You know, if you're used to having someone telling you, you know, what to do, well, nobody telling you what to do. Netflix had just come out at, had come out at the time as well. Yes, you and, watched all the Breaking Bad episodes. And, well, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you, you got to go watch a few more before you can go That's make right. any calls or anything. And then like at, the that, end right? of, at the end of an episode, it says, starting in three seconds, the next episode. Yeah, yeah. How are you supposed to raise money when you haven't watched that next episode, right? So there was a challenge with it. You know, you get into this business, you're in the job of raising capital and, and yet you confront some fears. And I remember about six months into it, my wife, she, we were driving down highway one and she looks at me, she's like, Justin, you got to get a job. <laughs> and I was just sitting there thinking, I'm the like, oh. death of an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I, I don't want to go back to do that, but she's got a point. If, mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not getting the results and you're not getting the job done, you know, she has a point. So I said, okay, honey, I'll make $10,000 this month. If I don't make 10,000 in commissions this month, I'll go and get a job. And immediately she says, okay, okay, right. and no problem. And I, and I start thinking, okay, well, I probably didn't need to say 10,000. I probably could have said a lesser amount and, uh, <laughs> and gotten by, but you, you know, you get to work, you, you start doing some of the things mm-hmm. that are required to do to raise money in this business. And Ended up making ten thousand and thirty-five dollars that month. Oh, so, yeah, but, Ooh, stay of, yeah. stay of execution. The, the governor phoned to get your execution orders signed. Yes, yes, about thirty-five dollars away from not yeah. sitting down here with you today. So, really, you know, I got the start there, and and have been growing it ever since. About four months later, she quit her job and and began working with me nice. uh, in the business here, and and really haven't looked back. So this stuff works. It does. Yeah. So, and I know it, it's a different context. Now, guys, Justin's a professional in the realm, and we're going to talk more about this whole thing. So a lot of people going to be watching this might not even know that, geez, there are resources like a Justin Smith. There are professionals that are, you know, I can pay you to go out and raise my capital for me. And we'll talk more about that. And a lot of people will be watching this may not get to this. So we're going to talk, this is going to be a 
little bit of an advanced conversation, which is totally fine. It's one of my commitments for in the Raising Capital Academy is actually there's going to be a lot of people in this program that are actually ready to scale. They've maybe have got past the starting. They've maybe even got a hundred places under their belt. Now they're looking to take the next step is now how do I go into public capital? How do I raise things on a professional basis into a larger project? So that's the conversation that we're going to have. But before we get there, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you some of how you personally go raise capital, right? Because I honestly think whether you're raising 100,000 or whether you're raising a million or whether you're raising 10 million, the process is similar, just different number zeros in certain respects, right? There might be a different level of people you're talking to. There might be different uh, documents you have to sign. There might be some different securities and regulations that you have to adhere to, but it is a skill that we all can learn. So before we get to that, so you raise capital from people all the time. Most people that I talk to, real estate investors, are, have a fear around talking to other people about money and talking to other people about raising money from other people. So you've had to get over that fear, obviously, <laughs> or, else you, or else we wouldn't be talking today. So what would you tell to somebody if, if I'm sitting here and say, just, I, I'm scared. I have a fear around bringing the money conversation up with people. How do you get past that? Yeah. And not everyone... Not everyone's an extrovert either. Yes. There, there are people that are very good at the investing side and they may be brilliant at it, in fact, but they may not be extroverts. They may not, yes. they may not naturally tend towards uh, going and raising money from people because raising money is it's a people business. And, yep. and I think the good news is uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more in the middle of the spectrum. I'm not incredibly extroverted. I'm mm-hmm. actually, but I'm, I tend to be a little bit more towards the introverted yep. side. So I think the good news is for, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the good news is for a lot of people, uh, I believe it's very doable. And I think there are actually traits of some introverts that could give you some advantages yep. as well. So whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think you can raise money in this business. And I right. think that's a, that's good to know and important to know for, for many people. So anybody can really can. You know, it, it doesn't yes. require anything special. Quite frankly, if you knew both of us, you, you go, yeah, definitely don't require anything special. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so the fear. Yeah. It, it is. It's real. Yes. Right. Yes, it is. How did you get over it? And number two, how would you coach me if I told you I'm scared to do that? Yeah, well, it's it's uh, like you say, it's a, it's a learned trait here. And I follow up a few different thoughts that have really helped me get through that. Number one, we're in the business of connecting with people. I think a lot mm-hmm. of the times people, you know, they, they meet someone and they say, hey, you know, how am I going to get this $100,000, $200,000 check from this person? That's not the business. You're in the business of connecting with another human being. Yep. And certainly that connection needs to be your primary focus when you first meet someone. It doesn't need to be, you're not going to get from A to Z in the first conversation. Yes. That This trust takes time. And I think a lot of the times people rationally, they get that. But emotionally, when they know, you're like, oh, I'm talking, I'm talking to Russell. I need to come away with some money from Russell. Yep. That mm. emotionally, the, the conversation, it changes. Those fears might arise a little bit more. But if you're just looking to connect with someone, and if you connect, there's a trust, you start to, to have a little bit more of a dialogue. I can get to know, you know, if it were you, Russell, I mm-hmm. can get to know you a little bit better. And whether my products may be a fit for you, maybe they're not. And if they're not, that's okay. But we don't get to have that conversation unless we've made a connection. Oh. So I think so I think, time out for one second. You guys just see how nice and smooth he is. He's making a connection right now, and he's just smoothly, you know, answering and alleviating my fear and stuff like that. That is a a trained skill, and you've honed that over the years. 
have you not of having many of these conversations? Well, you, you realize what works and, yeah, what, exactly. and, what, and what doesn't work. Yeah. I'm almost sitting here ready to write a check almost. <laughs> no, I, I think some people think that you're naturally born with this and you're not. You go and you had a lot of conversations. You've had some pretty awkward ones yeah. and, and some that go a little bit better and you, and you learn little bits along the way. So again, it's about human connection. And at the end of that, you know, you learn at the end, especially of that first conversation that you don't need to go for the jugular and then, <laughs> you know, show them your deal. It doesn't have to happen like that. So, you know, you can say the one that I've done often is I do a lot of deals here and I like to keep people in the loop on the, on the deals I'm doing. Would you like to be kept in the loop on the deals I'm doing? Guys, I hope you wrote that one down. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's a conversation that's really easy to have. And most people will say yes to that. And, mm-hmm. and that's basically permission to put it's them a shy on, your, yes. on, it's your a shy e- yes. on your email database. Yep. And, and, and it at least plugs them into your system. And then there becomes a question of the follow-up and, all, and, and what's the next step for that. But uh, it starts with being able to connect with someone and have, you know, for a lot of people, it's just some kind of soft close at that first one. You don't have, you're not going A to Z conversation one. So that's yeah. connection. Connection. And then would you like to be kept in the loop of the deals that I'm doing? Yeah. And there's, you can get creative here. There's a lot of different closes that, uh, that you could have on that first conversation, but you're not, you know, don't go in thinking that you're making a big ask or just remind yourself that you're not making a big ask. You're just meeting some, you're meeting yeah. somebody. You're taking a genuine interest on another person, yes. right? And, and finding out, first of all, find out if you can help them. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> right? and that's number two. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's value. Yeah. You know, are you able to add value to this person? And value comes in a couple of different, uh, I mean that in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. Number one, whatever project you're raising money for, is it a valuable product? So you got the product question. Yeah. Are you are you raising money for a good product? And if you're not, and you don't feel like you're adding value to that person's life by introducing them to a good yep. deal, then you, you need to change your deal. You can't go in and have an honest connection and feel like you're adding value to a yep. human being if you don't believe fully in your, in like your would you product. Would you put your own money or would you put your mother's money into it? That is a great litmus <laughs> test for, uh, for yep. whether you believe in it. And I do, I invest, I eat a lot, I eat a mile a lot of my own cooking that nice. way. And uh, and it, it's a great way to gain perspective into the investor paradigm too, the way they see you. And there's no better way to do that than to put yourself in their shoes and be, right. be an investor in, in the deals that you're doing. So that that's number two is make sure you're adding value and know that you add value. Mm-hmm. It's not just the value around the product. It's the value of what you bring to the table. And if, and for some, for some people, it's a confidence or belief in their se- in themselves yep. issue. And if, uh, if that's the issue, if it's not the product, if it's the value that you believe you bring to the table, there's probably some different things that you can do to know that you can do this, that you can bring value to the table. So first is connection. The second is this conversation around value. And the third is context, because you talk about fears around having money conversations. Well, let's say you're at an investment conference. Yep. And everybody's talking about money and you, you know, you can talk about other things. You can talk about dogs, you can talk about other people's interests, but you're at a money conference. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually the, it's already one level of filter already for people that have showed up already know what they're getting into. It's okay to talk <laughs> about money. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of weird if you don't talk about <laughs> money in that context, right? So yeah. you can create those contexts. And again, when you meet someone and you make a connection, maybe you don't want to talk about money on as much on that first conversation. Often I don't, I'll go an entire, I'll have an hour long conversation and talk maybe one minute or less about money during that conversation. And then what you do is if let's say you have a, a follow-up event, you have a webinar or you have a follow-up presentation, you can say, hey, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing this. Would this be the kind of event that would you know, interest mm-hmm. you? And if they say yes, well, you bring them to the event. They know you're going to talk about yep. money at the event. You're, yep. you're creating a context 
that makes it a very appropriate place to be talking about. So now you're talking like a step of qualification almost. Yeah. Right. So I'm slow and I always have to recap things. So the first one was connection. Correct. Then add value. Yes. Then context, CVC. And then the next one is qualification almost. Right. Nice. Yeah. And really what we're in is we're in the people business. If you connect with someone, if you add value to that person and you create an environment or a context that allows you to have that Mm -hmm. conversation, you will raise money. Wow. So holy moly, (laughs) you said a lot there. I'm just going to unpack it a little bit. So if you really think about it, really the best way to get over the fear is stop thinking about yourself. Right. That's really the reason why most people have fears because they're thinking about what are they going to think of me? You know, this is awkward. And it's all an internal focus on themselves. If you actually focus on how can you make a connection with them? How can you provide value to them? How can you set the environment for them to win? And then how can you prescribe something that works with them? Every one of those four steps you talked about was 100% focused on them. Yes. No fear when you're trying to help another person. Correct. And I know a lot of people that think that if you meet someone and your, you know, your ultimate goal is to have a check written from that, isn't that, you know, they say, isn't that disingenuous mm-hmm. where you're not just meeting them for the sake of meeting them. And I think it's important to realize that you are meeting them for the sake of meeting them. And as you get to know them, if you can add value to their life through the fact that you do these real estate investments, then all the better. If you can't, that's okay. Yeah. And it comes down to intention really at the bottom line is if you really want to talk about. And and there's been some studies out there that I've seen these studies that people have had scripts to read, like a, a sales script on the telephone. And they had different intentions. One person's intention was they must make a sale. The other person's intention was they had to help somebody. Same words, read the exact same way. The only thing different was their intention. Take a guess who had better close ratios. Not too the, hard of a question. Yeah, the one with that had the intention of helping people had yeah. a better close ratio, bar none. So it really just boils down to your intention of helping somebody else. So to your best knowledge right now, and I'm just talking rough numbers, how much capital have you, give or take, have you raised? Uh, well, that's a difficult question to ask. Some you raised directly, some you raised uh, indirectly. Mm-hmm. I got my start uh, helping people get involved directly in yep. uh, in properties in Northeast BC. Yep. Uh, so it was a little bit more of an indirect raise, but directly and indirectly, it's in the tens of millions. Tens of millions. Nice. So, and the reason I asked this is part of this interview series, I'm actually... Um, roughly quasi adding this up to give people a perspective of what it is. And now with this, we're now over 100 million in the people who I've interviewed so far of capital raised. So that's really the the context. There's no judgment of the number one way or the other. And quite honestly, I think you're just getting started, which we will talk about your brand new business venture, Hawkeye Investments. Hawkeye Wealth. Hawkeye Wealth. So very cool. The company you got your first start with was Western Canadian Properties Group. Yes, Western Canadian Properties Group yeah. and, and Western Wealth Capital. Are Man, different. some fantastic things they've done. Yes. Wow. I'm just blown away. Actually, Dave, I'm just trying to coordinate with Dave Steele about getting him on this interview as well, about uh, of getting his insights to this as, as well. So are you, obviously you invest in your pro- in properties yourself. Correct. You probably have a portfolio of properties, plus you also invest in the funds, I would imagine. Yes, as, sir. As you mentioned before. And I think that's important, right? That would be important from the standpoint of you could tell somebody, look, I actually got the first shares in this, of this as well. Yeah. And we have some mutual friends where you're just raising capital for Derek Peaver and the whole uh, there as well. Derek is part of this program as well. Uh, check out that interview as well. Okay, so now I want to talk about a little bit about public 
raising of money. Like everybody sits there and they sit there go, well, I just I'll throw into I want to put it out on a web page or Facebook or I want to host an event and I'm going to go out to the public and raise some capital. You can actually get yourself into some hot water doing that. Cannot. Because yes, there are some rules and some people governance and people that have gone through the process like you that have, you know, have a little bit of, you know, I have a little exception to somebody just going doing that in the public as well. So what are some pitfalls that can happen with a person just going to the general public of raising capital? Yeah, it usually revolves around a, a lack of clarity or a lack of information mm-hmm. around what you can or you can't do. And one thing that I can't recommend highly enough is to go and get yourself a, a good securities lawyer mm-hmm. or some consultant that is very experienced in this industry mm-hmm. before you go in and launch into any public raising of capital. Yeah. If you go and you raise and you go offside in any way, shape or form, it's going to come back and to bite you big time. And I know securities lawyers can be a little bit pricey, you know, mm-hmm. two, three, four hundred, five hundred, seen as high as six hundred dollars an hour. And that might sound like a lot of money. But if you go offside significantly with the Securities Commission, the the mental anguish and cost of that and downtime that can often come as a result yeah. of going offside is can be massive. So go and get yourself a good securities lawyer. Right. And if you're really hesitant to spend the money right away on the securities lawyer, find somebody who's done this before mm-hmm. and make that your first step. And they're going to tell you the same thing. They're going to go tell you to get a securities lawyer and yeah. make sure you're taken care of as well. But at least maybe some of those initial questions, you can get them at a little bit better than a $600 an hour rate yep. and get that information because some of that's widely available out there from consultants or, or maybe friends in the business. Yep. And, and we're going to dive into the deeper end of the public raising funds. But before we do there, let's maybe just take a step back. So if somebody's watching this going, geez, I have no intention of going into the public realm and raising capital that way. And I, I know I'm cool with just family and friends and business associates and just people that I know in my network and friends of theirs and people that I've just those two circles, right? Close family and then business associates of friends of friends, in essence. Um, does somebody have to be worried about raising capital in that realm of people? Yeah, I think it's worth a conversation yeah. with, a, with a lawyer, regardless of how you're doing it. There's even rules and regulations around how to properly raise funds from friends and family, certain documentation that needs to be done. And you should dot your I's and cross your T's. If you're raising capital in any way, shape, in, or form, I don't, any care, way, if shape, or form. I don't yeah. care if it's as a joint venture or as a limited partnership or, a loan or, even. or, or even, even loans, mm-hmm. uh, it is worth getting some advice. Right. So in essence, it's it's like going to get a checkup before you actually go train to run a marathon, just to make sure the old ticker is good and you're you're in, in actually good health and you're actually going down the right path of, of that too. So it, it makes sense to do that, right? The consequences of going offside are too big. Ah, wow. So this is Justin Smith and we're actually just getting started. I'm just going to go and reset the cameras here very shortly. And we're going to take a, a big dive into a couple things. We're going to talk about family and friends and just those few documents that people just probably need to get signed. We'll just talk a few of those and then we're actually going to get right into the deep end with our water rings on and we're going to talk about some public raising of capital. And then after that, we're actually going to talk about what uh, an exempt market dealer who you are, how you can help real estate investors. So we'll be right back, guys. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, we just got everything all set up. And as you can tell, I put my put my coat on just trying to keep up with the, the sharpness factor that's in the studio here today. Now. <laughs> 
remiss to say we definitely need to talk about one thing before we actually go into this next conversation. And, you know, it's it's like one of those lawyers or accountants getting up on stage and their first slide's a disclaimer, right? So we're going to put a, a little bit of a disclaimer on this, and you can fill in if I missed anything. Is, you know, at the end of the day, guys, this is information only. We're not your professional counsel. Uh, your defense is not, Russell and Justin said this on a video, so that's my defense of why I did what I did. Right, because really, at the end of the day, you need to get professional advice and you need to get legal advice with all of this. So, would you like to add a little to that as well? Everyone's situation is unique, and raising capital, and I'm specifically to raising capital in British Columbia. Technically, what the answer is is you have to be registered to, to offer any security in British Columbia. And now there are certain exemptions to registration requirements, and everyone has to know whether they fit the box in any of these exemptions or not, because technically you have to be registered. So right. so unless you fall under one of these exemptions, and there are some exemptions out there here in Western Canada, as of 2018, we have what's called the, the Northwest exemption that you may or may not fit into that mm-hmm. box. But it's very important that, again, uh, like I say, everyone's situation is different. If you are relying on an exemption, it's extremely important that you know without a doubt that you're able to rely on that exemption. Now, also, the other disclaimer I'm going to add in here as well is guys don't get freaked out, right? Like, you know, it's what we're really talking about is if you think about it, we're talking about a seatbelt and getting into the car to go drive, right? We're talking about the protection. Your intention is not to get ever busted or in an accident or in that kind of stuff. But it's nice if you had your seatbelt on is really we're not here to freak everybody out the same time because there's yeah. kind of a fine line right yeah. there's some people go too far well i don't have all my i don't know everything about securities and i'm scared and you know what am i going to do if, if i get this that or the other so so really we're not here to freak you out and we're also here not to give you a, a specific legal advice as well yeah yeah with the right advice you can navigate this it's not impossible to do by any means i mean right right didn't know how to didn't know how to do this and I know a little bit more than I knew yesterday now. And sometimes, you know, and some of this, people may never, ever, ever encounter any of this kind of stuff that we're talking about, too. Maybe. You just never know, right? A lot of the times where the issues arise around the Securities Commission is when you have complaints or when things go wrong. Mm. Uh, That's really when you know whether you had, whether you were doing things right or not. So really, your first line of protection is doing good deals. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. So. We spend at Hawkeye, we spend a disproportionate amount of time figuring that part out because, again, the best contracts out there are the ones that offer clarity, but you don't really ever need them mm-hmm. because you usually need them when something's gone wrong and, yep. and you have to have something enforced. And the idea is is to build enough clarity from the get-go and create good enough products that the chances of having to go down this avenue of having troubles with the Securities Commission is pretty minimal. So. so do good deals, you know, do what you say you're going to do, obviously. And the other is, if you really think about it, is don't publicly advertise you're looking for investment out in Facebooks and, you know, Eventbrite and all the kind of stuff out in the world. If you don't publicly put it out there that you're looking for capital and, and it's all people you meet, business associates, family, friends, different things like that, you potentially might not ever have uh, any issues whatsoever. Yeah, it's, again, for each person's situation is different, but you can do this 
the right way. It's not the most complex thing in the world. So go find out what your personal situation is, if, if uh, whether you need to get registered or there's an exemption that you can rely on. If you can rely on an exemption, go find out the few I's that you need to dot and, and T's that you need to cross and operate accordingly. Well, let's talk about these exemptions. I've, I've interviewed a few other people along the way and we talked about exemptions. You know, you live in this world, so you probably have this off the top of your head just like this, or it's totally fine if you don't have exactly every single one of them. But what would be some of the exemptions that people could fall within and maybe from, you know, from the top down to the bottom? Yeah, there's a, uh, a number of them. Now, in general, in the private market space, it's called the exempt market space. You tend to have a little bit less disclosure than publicly traded companies. And uh, because of that, the BC Securities Commission sets out rules and regulations as to what appropriate disclosure is required to have an investor come in. So you've got a, a couple of different categories of investors. You, you may have heard the term accredited. Yep. Accredited, uh, eligibles, different things like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah, unicorns. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, 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 the funny part is each province has their own set of yeah. rules as well. So there's a governing body over each of them and the rules aren't the same. The rules in BC aren't the same as the rules in Ontario. So if you're going to be raising money in different provinces, mm -hmm. it's, it's also important to know yeah. uh, the specific rules of that province. Uh, here in BC, you have what's called an accredited investor exemption which means that you're able to raise funds from people if they, if they meet uh, one of the criteria. Now, you don't have to meet all of them. The criteria, most common criteria are one of three. Yep. Either you make 200,000, either they make 200,000 plus per year yep. or 300,000 combined with a spouse. There's a couple, yep. Yeah, they have $1 million in net financial assets. Now that's considered cash, securities, or a life insurance policy with a cash surrender value. Okay. So a lot of people mistake this as $1 million in net worth. It's not the case. Uh, it, it doesn't count your own principal residence, and it doesn't count other real estate that you own. And does it count, say, an asset of a business asset as well? Or does it count that as well? Like it, an equity it, value of a business, a book of business that you might have or something like that? Yeah, it gets even to be a little bit more of a gray okay. area as to what counts. It's, at the end of the day, what they're looking for is liquidity. And they want investors that are able to take a hit if things were to go wrong in that deal. So really, that's what it's a question of, the question of liquidity. And then the third is a net worth component of five plus million. So you don't have to meet all three of these criteria, but usually accredited investors will meet one of those. There are a few other criteria as well yep. that you may meet, but a smaller group of people will, will meet those criteria. So you can go online and find out what that criteria is at the uh, Securities Commission website. At the Securities Commission. So if you just Google Security Commission website. Or yeah, they go to BCSC. And then what would I be looking for there would be investor eligibility. Yeah, yeah I'd go I'd go to a accredited investor right. definition. Okay. So less disclosure is required to work with accredited investors because okay. the BC Securities Commission has said that because they these people make and they have a good income, mm -hmm. they have or they have good liquidity or a high net worth, they tend to be a little bit more sophisticated and can do their own due diligence to a higher degree than someone that may not have gotten to that level financially. And number two, in addition to being sophisticated, they can afford to take a financial hit. Yes, should, that's so, the so, big thing, right? So they can they, they don't require as much disclosure. So really, if you think about it, is if things went sideways and things went bad, how much pain would it cause the investor? Really is so if it's the last hundred thousand dollars of somebody that's going to cause a little bit of grief yeah. and anxiety versus somebody who's that's just a, a minor speed bump yeah. in, in their net worth and, and that's the way to do business anyways yep. in this business these tend to be less liquid investments you're not able to get out of them whenever you want that's pretty generally true mm -hmm. uh, of this category and as a person i always remember back in the day i heard this line and i ever i repeated it 
many times afterwards because I thought it was true. They say, nobody cares about your money as much as you care about your money. You've probably heard that. And, you know, I, I get where they're coming. I get to where people are coming from. It's, it's pay attention to your money. And that's good advice. Mm-hmm. And they just know what's going on. But I realized it. I, I remember back when I was, I was uh, finishing up my master's program here in town and I got a hot stock tip. Russell. No, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> I, got, I got a hot stock tip and wow, I wish I would have found real estate earlier, Russell. <laughs> I, I got a hot stock tip and, and I invest and then uh, I used a line of credit. I used a line of credit to invest, of course, as a poor student. That's yeah. what I, that's what I had access yeah. to. And I can't remember how much money I put in, maybe two or four thousand bucks, but I watched that two, four thousand turn into six thousand. Yep. 8,000. And, and it gets to the point where, you know, I needed, I just, I was just recently married. I had to talk to my wife and I say, Elaine, you know, we're time, rich. No, no, no. It's time to double down. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's time to double down. And so yeah, if we put it, I think we were in the neighborhood of $20,000 on a line of credit at the time, which at the time was pretty significant. You know, it was pretty significant amount of money for us as poor students. And it keeps on going up. And I think it reached about $40,000. Yeah. And then it slowly starts to unwind and, and, you know, you, you lose, you lose. You're like, oh, no, don't worry, honey. It's, <laughs> it's coming back. It's coming back. And I remember uh, when I sold, I, I'd lost about 80% of the bank's money. Of course. Yes. They're okay. They'll still, they'll be, they'll forgive it. Of course. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> that's, how they, that's how they work. And along the way that, you know, that hurt, that hurt. And I learned a lot of lessons from that, but I'd also, I'd also introduced this stock tip to a friend. Oh, yes. And this friend had invested a little bit of RSP money. I think he told me it was somewhere around the neighborhood of two to three thousand mm-hmm. dollars in this stock, and you know lost the majority of it. I don't even know if he ended up selling it or not. But the company did go bankrupt. So again, I thought, you know, I just felt awful. Mm-hmm. I felt awful that I had suggested, or I'd even brought it up in conversation that this might be a good idea to do this. And here he is. He's lost two or three thousand dollars. He's a lot further along in his career. Two or three thousand didn't mean near as much as two or three thousand to me, and I'd lost close to twenty thousand dollars on this deal, and it didn't hurt near as much as his two to three thousand dollars. Yeah, by you, it hurt more by recommending and somebody else losing the money than your own money. It's awful. In, in essence, it's awful. Yeah. So, so back to the Securities Commission part. These are these are the rules or the requirements mm-hmm. here, but we take our, upon ourselves a pretty serious responsibility to mm-hmm. help people to make sure we do the best to protect their capital and, and earn a reasonable rate of return on right. it. So, I think if you're as a general rule, while you do have to make sure you know you're following the guidelines as a general principle, do right by people if it's not a fit for them, and in a it's especially tough in a business where like. Was it you eat what you kill? Mm-hmm. Where you're 100% commissioned to not do it because it's the right thing to right. do. But it's important that you do that. Because if you're not, I find a lot of the times that the people that get into trouble are the ones that they really need, they really need that money. They need it. They need it. And mm-hmm. they need it so bad that they're willing to put somebody else's money at greater jeopardy or maybe not be as transparent as they should in, in the transaction. And they think that their problem is they need to get this person's money. And that's not their problem. Their problem, Ross, is. They're having a conversation with maybe one, two, or three people, but they need to have a bucket full of 50, 60, 70 leads. You've got a marketing mm-hmm. problem because if you go and you're, you're doing that part right and you're having conversations with enough people, if it's not a fit, let's say it's not, something's not a fit for you, Russ, well, maybe it's a fit for John or maybe it's a fit for Sue. And I find that more often than not, the where you get into the compliance problems is where you're, you're not getting that marketing part and that lead funnel figured out properly. If you are, it really allows you to go and, and allows you to afford financially to be able to do the right thing. Okay. 
wow, <laughs> there's just so many different directions. Um, but I cut you off. Uh, we were talking exemptions, yeah. and we talked accredited investors. Yes. Right. What are some of the other exemptions yeah. people so, should be aware of? So now, now one other. Let me ask this question first, and then we'll go back to that. Um, you talked about these guidelines. Are all these guidelines online? Is this something that I can, you know, get for people and just kind of share? Are they PDF documents, or what? What are these guidelines that people? Yeah, need to- yeah. The, the National Instrument for Raising Funds, I believe. I believe it's one hundred three. Correct me if I'm N- wrong. Ni one hundred three. Okay. Yeah, I've given that guy a good read uh, yeah. a number of times to make sure that I'm on side. Just with before it, bed, always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, give that a good read here. It's yeah. all it's all laid out in there. If there's parts of that that are confusing to you, again, there's consultants in this mm-hmm. space or talk with somebody that's done it before and get clarity around that. But there's the uh, accredited investor exemption. There's a friends and family exemption yep. is another and fairly self-explanatory, right? Yes, yes. And the idea is is they'll be a little bit more forgiving if things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's mom's, if it's mom that's making the complaint, it'll be a little bit of more forgiveness. If things yeah. go wrong, yeah, the uh, which is a good avenue. I've always, I was going to say between you and me, but there's a camera here. Yeah. Of- <laughs> between you and me and several thousand other people yeah, watching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've always struggled raising capital from friends and family, mm-hmm. and it's not because it's hard to do. It's because it changes the dynamic of your relationship. And <laughs> I have a family member that has not talked to me. Yeah. Because a deal was didn't go so well, it went sideways. It would, it lost all its value, and it was in a, a market that had some significant downturn. And it's not there. And I have a family member that hasn't talked to me since. Yeah. So Pretty, it, it happens. Right? I mean, it's, well, money can be a very emotional thing, and that, that's that can be an advantage of going. And I mean, you don't want to lose anybody's money. You don't. That's a really hard thing. I learned that one early on. But it when it affects your family relationships, that's yep. tough. So that's it's an advantage, really, of going out and raising capital publicly because right. I found a couple of things. Number one, it's not like you care less about those people. You care deeply about your clients, but you're not seeing them on a day-to-day. You're not together for mm-hmm. Christmas dinner. Well, and it, even if, it's not even if things are just going bad too, Russ. When things are going good and everybody wants to talk about, you know, memories of the last mm-hmm. year's family vacation and you're sitting there talking about, how the cash flow is doing on your deal. It just, hmm. even when things, even yeah. when things are going well, it, you know, it changes that dynamic. So something to keep in mind so as if, well. If you think about non-friend, non-friends and family, the nature of the relationship is a financial relationship. In essence, you may know them quite well. You may get to know them really, really well, but you know, it's your relationship is not blood. It's actually based upon a business yeah. transaction. Yeah. Cause the nice part is, is if it's a business transaction, what I really try and do is get clarity for my clients because if I'm working in the majority of my clients are accredited investors, mm-hmm. so they don't get there by being poor at what they do. Usually they're, they get usually, yeah, yeah, usually yeah. they're quite successful in their ventures and, and they're quite sophisticated. So my job becomes to a, to build trust mm-hmm. with them so that when I give them information that, that they believe it and they do that through verifying it, usually sophisticated investors do that. And then really your job just becomes to communicate give them the information they need to make a decision because they want to make decisions. These people haven't gotten to where they are in their lives by not making decisions. Right. Yeah. They're very good at doing so. So your job is, is really a community, a job of communication. And the problem with family sometimes or when people get too close Mm -hmm. is they kind of forego that whole fact checking due diligence. It's little Johnny. So, you know, we just have to do it. Yeah. So while you you can be good friends with your clients, they they tend to go and actually Mm -hmm. vet the deals themselves. And I very much encourage them to do so. And, and I think sometimes part of the problem with family is they don't do that. If they did do that, it, they may not, you know, those relationships may not get strained as much. Right. But when someone comes to you and they just hand you a check 
and they don't know what they're handing you a check for. Mm. That should be a red flag. That should be a red Mm. flag for you. Or at least make the effort to go sit down and make sure they're coming in with eyes wide open on what the deal is. Because I've had situations where I inherited a book of business and this book, a number of sales have been made to, to clients in this book. And when you start fielding the phone calls, you'll start hearing things like, oh, you know, this person promised me this or this person promised me. And I was like, I, I don't, first of all, I don't think, I hope they were never <laughs> promised yeah. anything. It's not a word that, you know, it's, it's a kind of like promise and guarantee. These are words you just don't use. <laughs> it's, 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 just a, it's just a no. And if you really, if you sell them the right way and everybody comes in with eyes wide open, whether it's a family member, but especially if it's a family member, make sure they're coming in with their eyes wide open because it always surprises me. And, and you know, on the whole, our deals have performed quite well. I'm very pleased with how the deals have performed, but every once in a while, you'll have a deal that under, you'll have a deal that underperforms. Mm-hmm. It, it, it happens yep. uh, in this business. And if you've been clear throughout the whole process and you've raised in the right way, I'm always blown away by how much responsibility the investors take for their own right. decisions. Yep. And they know that it wasn't you going and pushing them to make a decision. It's everybody, you, everybody's working off the same set of information. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to make that set of information as clear and accurate as possible. And if you do that, if you want to be in this business for a long time, that is huge. Yes. Well, your reputation is everything, right? You got it. Um, credited investors. Friends and families, what are some of the other exemptions in there as well? Yeah, there's another. Uh, so when you're going and raising funds, you have something called an offering memorandum mm-hmm. exemption. You may have heard that term as well. An offering memorandum exemption is used when an issuer or somebody that's making a deal wants to be able to raise funds, typically wants to be able to raise funds from non-accredited non-accred- investors. Okay. Yep. And what an offering memorandum is, is an additional disclosure document that the Securities Commission deems, you know, if you're not an accredited investor, you're not a sophisticated investor. If this offering memorandum provides additional disclosure that gives these people, this group of investors, more information to make a decision, more disclosure. Okay. It's a little bit closer to that prospectus level or that public level of disclosure. So that's what allows non-accredited investors to invest in these deals. An OM, look at me yeah. using the lingo, yeah. offering memorandum. That, that's a fairly expensive document to get created. Yeah, it can really vary uh, yeah. depending on who you use. For and if you've done it before, you if you're starting audits. from scratch versus if you maybe have done one or two before and things like that too, right? Yeah, yeah. So an offering memorandum, it, so your legal fees uh, for setting up the offering memorandum, typically you set up a limited partnership agreement at the same time as the offering memorandum. But the offering memorandum, you're looking in the neighborhood on the low end for just the lawyer fees, kind of ten to $20,000 to the high end, upwards of dollars $90,000, $100,000 to, to create this document. And then it's not just the upfront costs because you also have to go and get, when you have an offering memorandum, it triggers a requirement for audited financial statements. Mm-hmm. Upfront, you have to get an opening balance sheet audit. And then in addition to that, it's annual audits. And those annual audits, depending on the complexity of your deal, kind of start let's call it in the neighborhood of Twenty to thirty thousand dollars per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you're raising money from non-accredited investors, and, and part of the reason you'll see people only raise from accredited yes, investors yes. on many occasions is because the offering memorandum does does add this extra element of cost, not just upfront those upfront costs of anywhere from twenty five to one hundred thousand dollars, but in addition to that, operational costs of. $25,000 plus per annum for the accountants to go and do the audited financial yeah. statements. So if you're going to do the offering memorandum, they tend to be on larger deals. Yeah. You're, you're, not, you're not raising $240,000. No, it, 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 it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes yeah. no sense. 
Yeah. Uh, it really makes no sense. So you're you're gonna see, you know, I don't I don't have there's no magic number in my mind, yeah. but it, the number that comes to mind maybe five plus million dollars yeah. that you're raising and earning a pretty decent uh, rate of return, including cash flow on that to be able to go and fund those those okay. auditing costs. Okay, accredited investors, friends and family. Offering memorandum. What are, are there? Some other ones. There was business associates. Is that a is that yeah, an exemption yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's usually it's lumped in with the friends, friends and family, family and, business and, associates. Okay, and, and business associates there. And and again, it's one of those ones that you can go and find an, ex, an exhaustive yeah. list on yeah. on National Instrument. And I imagine the last level would be the offering memorandum because that kind of covers everybody, right? After that, or is there another level of um, exemption from there? As well, there's a few other exemptions. Yeah, but we're really uh, getting we're available. really getting out there, and maybe one in a, a million people will need it. Russell, right? one, of my, one of my first one of my first hires when I started Hawkeye was a chief compliance officer. Oh yes, <laughs> of course it is. And it really comes down to what you're good at, because again, it can be very intimidating to go mm-hmm. and do these things. And it's it's the question because anybody can learn it, anybody mm-hmm. can do the compliance side of it. But I know a lot of people; it's it doesn't light them up. And if it doesn't light you up, you can't just not do it. It has, it has to be done. Yeah, the governance, <laughs> the governance and compliance is absolutely yeah. huge on that yeah. end. On when you start getting into, you know, let's put this way: the bigger the business, the bigger the deal, the bigger these things, and the, and the phone rings. So <laughs> that's a good place to actually do a timeout right now. So we we'll be right back. So what did you think of today's episode? Remember, this is just part one of two. So remember, right at the very beginning, I gave you a listening exercise to dive into. So have you figured out what Plata Oplomo means? Have you figured out where that moment occurred within uh, this first one? You know what? It might not even have occurred in this first episode, right? It might be in the next episode. I don't know. I'm not going to give that away. That's for you to be as an engaged listener into this process as well. But guys, have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you very much for all the wonderful shares. Thank you very much for all the wonderful feedback, the reviews of just sharing this podcast out to sharing it out with other people then that are looking for some good quality information in the world of real estate investing, personal development, personal finance, entrepreneurship, all that kind of stuff. Okay. I just wanted to just from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for your engagement. Thank you very much for playing along. And thank you very much for listening and sharing. And the last thing I always say on all my podcast episodes is remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.